Hollywood Live Extra with Tanya Hart. I'm Tanya Hart. My guest today is Dana Kennedy. She is the former senior editor of the New York Times, but these days, Ms. Kennedy is the administrator of the Pulitzer Prizes. Now, if you don't know, that's journalism's most prestigious awards. And by the way, she happens to be the first person of color and the first woman to hold the first woman of color, should I say, and the first uh, person of color to hold this prestigious position. We are so glad to welcome Dana to Hollywood Live Extra. How are you? I am great, and thanks for having me. It's such a pleasure to, to speak with you. Absolutely. Well, you know, you actually took over this position last July, I yes. believe. Was it? Yes, July. Were you surprised when they selected you? No, um, not at all. <laughs> I, I've been a journalist for, you know, many years. I'm an author. Um, you know, I worked at the New York Times for 21 years before right. I came here. I'm a Pulitzer Prize winner, so I think I was uh, qualified for the position. I was, I was oh. humbled and very honored and blessed to be selected, but not at all surprised. Good for you. And everybody said that, oh, no, she is more than qualified for this position. <laughs> you know, what do you do, though? People are let, let's talk a little mm-hmm. bit about the Pulitzer Prize and what it is. Um, yeah. Many people we hear about it every year. You know, it's administered or it's given out every mm-hmm. April. Uh, this year, Kendrick Lamar got one. I'm thinking, he did. did Dana have something to do with that? We can talk about that in a minute. But what actually is the Pulitzer Prize? So the Pulitzer Prizes are regarded by by many as uh, the most prestigious awards um, given in journalism. Um, We have 14 journalism prizes covering categories like local news, breaking news, investigative reporting, public service. And we also award seven awards for arts and letters, which include uh, books, including fiction and history and biography, poetry. Uh, We have a music prize and a drama prize. Absolutely. And, the and this has been are around two years old. I was so, going to say, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was started by the Pulitzer family, wasn't it? Joseph Pulitzer, who was a very famous journalist, um, uh, started it along with Columbia Journalism School. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, a hundred years later, here we are. Uh, you are steering things like. Jury selection matters. What does that actually mean? Yes. So I oversee um, the entire organization. I report directly to the board of directors. So everything from choosing the jurors who select the nominations that go to our board. I am a board member. um, To, you know, qualifying all the applications and making decisions about the applications in terms of whether they're in the right categories, whether they actually qualify for a Pulitzer Prize, those kinds of things. There's a Mm -hmm. bunch more that goes along with it, but those are, are the main areas of responsibility. And I advise the board on all kind of matters related to the prizes and to running the organization in general. Right. I I just love it. You know, you were a part of the uh, New York Times team that won the Pulitzer in 2001 when -hmm. you did that series about race in America. I actually remember that. That oh, was wow. incredible. Yeah, yeah, I do. You know, I've been reading the Times pretty much all my life, um, especially the Sunday mm-hmm. Times. Can't live without it. Uh, you were um, at that particular time, race in America, two thousand and one. Here we are, two thousand and eighteen. Has it changed? Oh gosh, no. Unfortunately, I mean, look. I think it's 
two steps forward, one step back. And in the end, I suppose that adds up to progress. It does add up to progress, but we have a long way to go. And I sort of feel like uh, we're in a one step back moment right now. But then I look at my son, who's 12 years old, and his friends, and, you know, he's got such a diverse range of uh, of friends and and the things that they are concerned about and the things they want to do, you know, together in the future gives me hope. So we just have to keep working at it. Every every generation, uh, I think, gets better than the, than the one before. Well, let's let's hope so. The only thing is now we're living in an era of fake news. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How do you, as a journalist, I mean, a serious journalist, when you know what that means? How do you deal how do you deal with this? How should we all be dealing with this? So I actually don't think we live in an era of fake news. I think that No, I mean I, I said that incorrectly. No, we don't uh, live in an era of fake news, but that that term has been put out there. It's been put sure, out by sure. people who are running our country mm-hmm. and so people who really don't know any better, that's what they think. Mm-hmm. I think I think that people like me and my organization and news organizations have a lot of work to do on building goodwill with the public and helping people to, particularly the younger generation that is used to uh, consuming news digitally, helping them decipher what real news is and real news organizations and quality news. You know, Facebook is not a is not a news organization. It isn't. Neither is Twitter. And so, you know, I think one of the jobs, one of the things that I'm focusing on, and I think one of the jobs that media in general um, has to do is help people distinguish between what is actual real and factual news um, and and what isn't. Uh, If someone tweets something, it doesn't make it true. And I think that, that particularly in times, it's interesting, at the New York Times I used to notice, in times of either crisis or in historic moments, um, you know, 9-11 or when Obama was elected and so forth, people then turned to legitimate sources of news because they wanted that information from sources they trust. And we have to do more to make sure that that happens all the time, not just in moments where people really want to turn to the go-to sources like a, a CNN or an MSNBC or New York Times and Washington mm-hmm. Post. And, mm-hmm. and one of the biggest challenges is strengthening regional and, and, and local newspapers and news organizations that are so under assault because of the economics of, of, of producing right. news these days. Wow. And then the other thing is, you know, when I know when I started out, we really journalism meant that there were two sides to the story and you really mm-hmm. wanted to present it two or three sides of the story. Now we, we have huge news organizations who are opinionated they have their opinion and that's all they broadcast or that's all they report how do you cipher through all of that well, I think that, um, again, that's where we have to educate people about the difference in news and editorials. Editorials where, where, where an, an opinion, op-ed, opinion pieces, um, have always had opinion in them. But I think the lines have become blurred, particularly with blogs and other things, about what actual news is versus what opinion is. And mm-hmm. legitimate news sources, they're still, they still run in those lanes, those very distinctive lanes. But I think that, um, you know, people can be understandably confused about, okay, what's news versus what what is opinion? And um, I would invite people to go to Pulitzer.org and look at um, the list of winners this year and or any year and the list of the runner-ups. And you, you will see, you know, that's an easy way to sort of look at news and distinguish between something that is actual fact-based news and something that's opinion. And we have opinion awards in there. We have a commentary award. We have an editorial award. And, and you know, you can distinguish what the difference is. But I think most news organizations, they do have columnists, 
this. They have op-ed pieces, but they have news sections that ha- that offer perspective, but mm-hmm. are fact-driven and supposed to be, for the most part, um, void of opinion. Right, exactly, and that's where the difference lies. You void of opinion. Just mm-hmm. present the facts. And then we don't have to worry about fake news. You know, um, it's kind of interesting because in the in the realm of music this year, Kendrick Lamar won a Pulitzer Prize. People were <laughs> yeah. they were shocked. They were happy. And and Lamar's so happy, you know he had a parade here in LA this weekend. <laughs> I did not know that. Oh, that's fantastic. Good for him. He had had a little Pulitzer Parade this weekend in his hometown. I love it. I did, too. And people, you know what it did, though, for that generation and many young people, it really opened their eyes to what this is. Yes. And what yes. about greatness? And so, mm-hmm. you know, I, him being, I guess, the first rap artist to win, mm-hmm. how does that come about? How does that happen? Well, it was fascinating because I get a lot of credit for that, but I, you know, facilitated it. I didn't, I didn't um, push this through by any means. It happened because it should have happened in the sense that the best work won. And so we had a music jury, one of our um, um, 21 juries, because we have a, a jury for each category, and they were considering work. And I think someone said, you know, a particular work, a piece of work that they were interested in had uh, roots in hip-hop. And they said, well, if we're mm-hmm. getting excited about work that has roots in hip-hop, shouldn't we be talking about actual hip-hop work? And someone mentioned Kendrick Lamar, and they decided in real time right then to listen to the entire album, Damn, and uh, said, you know, that there was so much enthusiasm for this album that they put it forward as a, as a finalist. Wow. And what's been great is how excited people have been about the selection. And and I think uh, one of the remarkable things is that the two uh, men who were finalists in the category have come out and, and embraced the selection and said, you know, he's as much as... Uh, uh, of a musical genius as as we are and others in this category. Um, and I wasn't as familiar with his work before the selection, but I'll tell you, my gosh, there's so many layers of complexity and, and, and brilliance to both um, you know, the actual music itself and, the, and to the, the collection of, uh, of songs on his album. We yeah, were very really... proud of the selection. Uh, you should be. And like I said, we are here, and I am so happy that he did his Pulitzer Prize parade for all the young people here in L.A. <laughs> Just want to let our audience know you're listening to Hollywood Live Extra. I'm Tanya Hart. My guest today is Dana Kennedy. She is the lady that is running the Pulitzer Prizes these these days. <laughs> uh, hopefully for a few years you will be there. But Dana, you've got your own terrific story. Uh, you're also an I author, do. as you mentioned. You mm-hmm. do. Uh, your your partner, uh, First Sergeant Charles Monroe King, was killed in combat during the first yes. Iraq War in 2006. You were carrying his child and your unborn child at the time. Mm-hmm. Tell mm-hmm. me a little bit about that. You've written a book about it. <sighs> yes. Um, um, it was actually the second Iraq War, um, and he, he was... Uh, the love of my life. He had served 19 and a half years. He was the first sergeant, which which made him a leader yeah, in the military. Um, um, had trained hundreds of men for combat and was leading them there. 
And he had one month left to go in his tour and mm. was blown up and killed by a bomb. But mm. before he left, we decided to have a child. And um, uh, and precisely because he knew he was going off to the war, and he, he took a journal with him and he wrote 200 pages to him, uh, our son Jordan, How to Choose a Wife, The Power of Prayer. He wrote to him about racial discrimination, about getting his heart broken, about appreciating all people. And on the last page, he wrote a letter essentially saying, this is everything I could think of to teach you to be a man if I don't make it home. And so after he was killed, and he only met Jordan once when he came home on a leave for two weeks. Jordan was six months old. And um, after he was killed, I just I had to do something with my grief or I was going to lose my mind. I had this new baby. Yeah. You know, I was working full-time at the New York Times. I took a leave of absence to write a book called A Journal for Jordan. And it's a memoir about our life together and the sacrifice that the soldiers make every day, including, and it included, um, um, you know, entries from the journal. It's now in 10 countries and eight languages and is being made into a movie by uh, Columbia Pictures. Columbia. And yeah. Virgil Williams, Denzel who, Washington. who wrote Mudbound, is, is working <laughs> right. on the screenplay. And wow. uh, Denzel Washington and Todd Black are producers. And we're very grateful uh, for this project. Wow. When will we be seeing this? Do you have any idea when this is will come to the big screen, perhaps? I don't know. If I had to guess, I'd say the next year, perhaps year and a half. It's very yeah. interesting because on the, the week that I announced the Pulitzers for the first time, um, Virgil came to New York and he attended the Pulitzer announcement. And literally the next day, I was on the phone off and on all day doing media interviews. And he was sitting in my office and we were going through the outline of the script page for page. So I'd stop and do an interview. <laughs> And then we'd go through more of the script. And so we spent the week here doing a lot of research. He's, I was just texting with him last night about some details in the script. So he's hard at work at it. He's very gifted and, um, you know, is, is, is really producing something very special with this script. I think it's going to be an exciting movie, but an important one about patriotism, mm-hmm. about a patriot who put his country first, who happened to be a black father. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think, you know, particularly in the times that we're living in, there's a message there for all of us about reclaiming what we and defining uh, what we think is patriotism and he yes. Charles lived that and he gave his life for this country and he made a lot of personal sacrifices in doing that and had a lot of strong beliefs about it and I lived through it with him you know while I was um, a journalist at the New York Times and so I think the story has a lot to offer um, uh, in terms of perspective about being an American that you don't often see on the screen Yes, I cannot wait for this. And I know he does, Virgil does such, you're right, he does such a good job. So we will, whenever the, oh, he really is. And so when this happens, you know, we still do all the junkets. We will be meeting you on the junket circuit for this one. I am so sure. Dana, we just, we're so proud of you. I want you to know that. Thank you. (laughs) And what advice would you give to, you know, all the time I have students come up to me and say, Mm -hmm. you know, I want to be a journalist. I want to be on TV. I want to be a reporter. What advice would you give to young people? My advice number one would be do it. Simple as that. I grew up in a really small town in Kentucky. I was the first person on in the history of my family to go to college. We didn't have any money. Uh, I wasn't a straight-A student, and I spent 21 years at the New York Times. I, I wrote a best-selling book. I uh, now run the Pulitzer Prizes. So if I can do that in one generation, anyone can. It's really about finding something that you're passionate about and sticking to it. There's not a, for anybody's life, nobody gets a charmed life, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. how you handle adversity and setback and 
problems really will uh, determine your course, but also how flexible you are. Half of what I have ended up doing in my life, I didn't set out to do. I had a goal, and I stuck to it, but you have to be flexible, be willing to work really, really, really hard. You know, there were years and years, nobody knew who I was and what I was doing, but I knew what I was doing. And mm-hmm. find something that you love, that you really are passionate about, master the basics of your craft, prove that you can do it, establish goodwill with your company by producing over and over and over, and then look up and say, now what? What's next for me? It's as simple as that. Wow. Well, we know what's next for you. Uh, Continued (laughs) success. Uh, Thank Thank you you. so much, Dana. I want everybody to know that they're listening to Hollywood Live Extra. I'm Tanya Hart. My guest today has been Dana Kennedy, who I I just love your story. We'll be hearing more about that and about you in the future. And keep us all, uh, you know, posted with what's going on with the Pulitzer Prizes, Dana. I sure will, and I thank you so much for your for your interest. I really do appreciate it. Oh, no problem. And for the audience out there, don't forget to subscribe to Hollywood Live Extra on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or any other podcast directory that uh, make sure you download all of these because you don't want to miss any of them. If you like what you hear, give us a five-star review. I'm Tanya Hart. This is Hollywood Live Extra at AURN. Hollywood Live Extra, a product of American Urban Radio Networks.